It's February 9th, 2022. We are a day out from the NBA trade deadline, the crazy season. So the Nets and Sixers are set, right? There'll be no blockbuster trade. And yet the rumors are still going. You know, where there's smoke, there's fire. Will Ben Simmons be moved for James Harden? So from a basketball point of view, could that work for both teams? Yes, because James Harden not only can get buckets, but he's a terrific playmaker. And with what Joel Embiid can do from 23 feet in, with his court vision, with his presence in the block, I think those two in a pick-and-roll situation, maybe Tyrese Maxey and James Harden in a pick-and-roll situation, if the Sixers should keep Tobias Harris, what James Harden would do for him. Remember, if you add James Harden, then I think Tobias Harris can slide into his more comfortable, natural role of being a number three. For the Nets, yes, you lose some scoring. But you get if you get the best version of Ben Simmons, then you're getting the playmaking. You're also getting one of the top defenders in the NBA. Ben Simmons can guard all five positions at an elite level. So could it work for both teams? Could it could it could it make a difference impact wise for both teams? Yes. Will it happen? I still think it's a long shot, but not impossible. That's why it's the crazy season. It's the NBA cipher. Let's go. What's good, everybody? Last week's episode of the NBA cipher we were talking about the potential buyers and sellers in the Eastern Conference. And this week, we were going to get into the West. But before we get into the West, let's talk about some of the moves that have already been made. The Sacramento Kings and the Pacers make a deal that sends Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Hill, and Tristan Thompson to the Pacers for Demonis Sabonis, Justin Holiday, and Jeremy Lamb, along with a second-round pick. I'm a fan of Demonis Sabonis. I think that his future going forward in the NBA, he's probably going to be a small ball five. He can play the four, but he doesn't really stretch the floor. He's effective from about 15 feet in. Terrific back to the basket. He's got a nice face-up game, and he's also a very good passer. Doesn't give you much defensively, but again, he's still a player, even as a two-time All-Star, still developing. I will say this, though. I, I think the winner of this trade are the Pacers. Because I think Tyrese Halliburton, when it's all said and done, is going to be a star. I think Tyrese Halliburton was the best player on the Kings. And they also get Buddy Hield a shooter. Tristan Thompson, proven veteran center. I don't know if the Pacers are going to keep him or not. But in the bigger picture, this deal to me leans towards the Pacers. Again, if you think about Sabonis' skill set, along with De'Aaron Fox, who is gifted in terms of driving and getting downhill, but not much of a shooter, not much of a range shooter. So your two best players, both left-handed, but both have limited range. I just don't know how well that's going to work. Don't get me wrong. I'm fans of both players because I still think they're evolving and developing, but I think the winner of this trade is clearly the Pacers. And then there was another move. The Blazers and the Pelicans made a deal that sent C.J. McCallum, Larry Nance, and Tony Snell to the Pels. And the Blazers got Josh Hart, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and Thomas Sadoransky, along with 
Didi Lozado. They also got three second round picks. To me, when you look at this deal, it it obviously signals the end of the Dame Lillard, C.J. McCallum era in terms of them, them, and, and I mean the Blazers, competing for titles. I also look at it from the Pelicans' point of view. Yes, adding a C.J. McCallum to a Brandon Ingram, and once you get a healthy Zion, whenever that will be, that's a formidable trio right there because you all three of them can attack from the perimeter. And, of course, what Zion can do in the restricted area would make them an interesting team to watch going forward. For the Blazers, it, it's clear this is the beginning. I, some will say rebuild. I'm going to say reset because as of right now, I don't think the Blazers have any plans on moving Damon Lillard. And, and I understand why you wouldn't move Dame. Transcendent franchise players, they don't come around often, especially for small market teams. So even when you're nearing the end, it, it's hard to let go, right? It's hard to say goodbye, point blank, because you don't know when that next guy is coming along. And if you know the history of the Blazers, they've had more than their share of heartache when it comes to what they did with draft picks, with star players having uh, tragic injuries. When you look at Greg Oden, Brandon Roy, you can go all the way back to Sam Bowie. So the Blazers have had their share of heartache in the NBA draft. Uh, I do think that because the trade created a trade exception, a $21 million one, the Blazers could add another piece and try to make another run. Like I said, if they're not going to move Dame, then this is more of a reset. I would make the case, though, that this reset is just prolonging the inevitable, what's going to happen, that this era is over. Because whoever you whoever you add, if it's not a superstar, and it won't be, they're not competing for titles. And if the goal is to compete for titles and be relevant going forward, it's time to move on. It's time to look Dame in the eye and go, you're still an elite talent. We thank you for everything you've done and, and move him and get back some trade assets, get back some, some picks or some young players that are still developing. That's what I would do if I was the Blazers, but I understand why they're holding on because again, it is hard. It is hard in a small market to lose a transcendent talent like that. Let's not forget the move that was made also between the Blazers and the Clippers. The Blazers sent Norman Powell, Robert Covington to the Clippers. Those are two wing players, both solid defenders. Covington is more of a 3 and D guy. Norman Powell can get you buckets at all three levels on the floor. It's an interesting move because the Clippers are without their two best players, and no one has been told any timetable for the return of Kawhi Leonard or Paul George. So I'm wondering if this is more than just a move for now, but maybe a move going forward. Maybe they feel that next year with the healthy Kawhi, Paul George, along with Norman Powell and some other pieces, the Clippers can make a run next season. It's just an interesting thought because I thought the Clippers would be sellers, but when you take on Norman Powell's $90 million contract, they're buyers and they're they're all obviously they're invested in the future of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. 
The Blazers get back Eric Bledsoe, Justice Winslow, and Keon Johnson in the second round pick. Again, looking at this trade on the outside, any anybody that knows basketball knows these are not players that are going to be part of the Blazers' future. Which is why your talent, along with your place in the standings and your salary cap, dictate often what franchises will do or won't do towards the trade deadline. Look at the top three teams in the West, Suns, Golden State, and the Grizz. Phoenix is 44-10, best record in the NBA. The Golden State Warriors are 41-13. Grizz are 38-18. And you've heard of them potentially making fringe moves by the trade deadline. But the truth of the matter is, those three teams, when you're talking about talent and depth, they're all set. I don't see where any of those three teams need to add anything. What they need, the one thing all three need, I actually... The one thing every team in the NBA needs is health. If Golden State, Memphis, and Phoenix all go into the playoffs healthy, they're going to be problems. You, They're already the three best teams in the West. And going forward, if they're healthy, if, if the Grids can get back a healthy Dylan Brooks, if Golden State can get back a healthy Draymond, if they can get back a healthy Wiseman, if the Suns can go into the playoffs healthy, Chris Paul fully rested, those three teams are going on deep playoff runs. When I look at a team like the Jazz, the Jazz have been the same the last four years. They've been everybody's sexy pick. People constantly tell me, watch out for the Jazz. You hear all the pundits tell you, the Jazz, the Jazz, and I always say to them, built for the regular season. Quinn Snyder is an excellent coach. He has an excellent system. But their talent in terms of when teams lock in and it becomes about half-court execution and they make you deviate from what you're used to doing, they only have one guy that can be spontaneous and create and do something that maybe a defense just can't be prepared for, and that's Donovan Mitchell. What they need is another dynamic scorer. I like Jordan Clarkson as a six-man. He's been productive again this season, but not nearly as efficient. He's been more of a volume scorer. What they what they desperately need is a second bucket getter. And, and I don't mean a 3 and D guy. They need another guy that you can book for 18 to 20 points a night who can create off the dribble. Until they add more individual talent to that roster, the Jazz will always be a team that is a top seed throughout the regular season. They'll also be a first-round exit. I think when you look at teams like the Mavericks and Nuggets, they're very similar in that they both have superstars, transcendent talents, but not a lot around them in terms of having that, that bona fide second option that you can rely on to take pressure off of them night in and night out. Now, to be fair with the Nuggets, it's not all on their management. Obviously, their second-best player, Jamal Murray, who was on the verge of becoming a legit superstar himself, is still out and recovering from that tragic injury. Then you have Michael Porter Jr., who's a gifted, talented, developing star, can't stay healthy. The back issues, they seem to be chronic. And going forward, it, you hope 
this young man can have a long career. But they're without their second and third best players, which is why, to his credit, what the Joker is doing, I think is just as impressive as last season, which is why he has to be in the top three for this year's MVP. Still, this is about buyers and sellers and potential moves that will impact the conference in the playoffs. I don't think the Nuggets just have enough to make a deep playoff run. Will Barton, Aaron Gordon, both very good players. Barton, a veteran, 31 years old. Gordon's 26 and, uh, you know, a young veteran. They're solid players, both giving you around 15 points a game. Monte Morris, I think he's one of the better backup point guards in the NBA. But this is about what happens when they lock down the Joker. Can you rely on those guys to get buckets night in and night? They've been solid, but I, I think they desperately need another guy that can that can create for himself and they can rely on to get 20 points a night. I, I just don't know if that guy is out there for them and what kind of assets they have to even bring that back in return. I do like the potential of some of the younger guys like Bones Highland. This kid is fearless. He's a streaky scorer but you can see the talent. Brent Forbes is a reliable veteran who's also always been around the top five and three-point percentage. Jeff Green, he's just a ball player, just a solid veteran. I like the team. Again, I'm impressed with what the Joker has done. 26 points a game, 13 rebounds, eight assists, over a steal a game. His effective field goal percentage is through the roof, 62%. That's insane. I don't know if I think the Nuggets should be buyers. I'm just not sure. How can I put this? They they don't. I don't know if they have the the, the assets or the cash per se to go out and make a major move. With the Mavericks, like I said, similar situation. Luca, a dominant player, 26 points a game, eight rebounds, nine rebounds, nine assists. His effective field goal percentage is over 50. Granted, he's not shooting the three ball that well this year. And he's been streaking from three his whole career, really. I, I wouldn't call him a three-point shooter. He's a guy who can go off. He can hit eight threes in a game, and he can follow that up by missing his next 16 or 17 threes. But that doesn't take away from what he does overall as a floor general and a scorer. I like Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson is probably one of the more underrated players in the NBA. And now as a starter, he's showing you what he can do this season. 16 points a game, just under six assists, shooting 50% from the field, effective field goal percentage, almost 55%. And he's a tough defender. This is what goes not talked about when you talk about the Mavs. They might not have the most firepower, but they're actually a very underrated team defensively. I like the versatility of Dorian Finney-Smith. I like what you get from Kleba and guys like that, Dwight Powell. If the Mavs can at least bring in another guy who can create his own shot, even if they bring in a 3 and D guy, an athletic wing, who can give you 15 points a game and guard multiple people, that, that would give the Mavs a little bit more flexibility in their roster. That would take some pressure off of Luka. That would take some pressure off of Jalen Brunson. The West is crazy for a reason, but when you really look at it, there are three teams that are fully loaded, and I've already talked about them, the Warriors, the Grizz, 
and of course the Suns. And then the rest of the teams, there are a lot of great individual talents. Obviously, with Portland now, it's just Dame, and Dame's not even healthy. With the with the Mavs, it's Luka. With the Nuggets, it's the Joker. And then you have the biggest soap opera in the NBA. It's better than General Hospital. It's better than Grey's Anatomy. It's my Lakers. The Lakers lost last night to the defending champs in a game that for most of the, most of the game, it was a blowout. To the credit, the Lakers made a run. They cut it to 10. They made it interesting. And then the Bucks woke up and closed the game out. The Lakers, even though they're ranked in the middle of the pack defensively, are not a good defensive team. They just aren't. They're 26 and 29. And yes, AD is capable of being one of the better defenders in the NBA. LeBron at age 37 can guard at a high level in spurts, but he's not a reliable defender night in and night out. And nor should he be in his 19th season, especially when he's doing what he does for them offensively, 29 points a game, seven rebounds, six assists, shooting 52% from the field, 35 from three. Effective field goal range or percentage, I'm sorry, of almost 60%. I like what Malik Monk has done. It seems like as the season has gone on, he has found his way. And Malik Monk coming out didn't really have much of a game off the bounce. He's gotten so much better. You can tell he's been in the lab. He's put in the work. He has the ability not just to catch and shoot, but he can also break guys down and attack the basket. You've got LeBron James and Anthony Davis. I would make the case you have more than the Joker has in terms of star power. He doesn't have a second star, nor does Luka. And they're finding a way to win. They do have better role players. Nobody would debate that. And I know much of the talk when you talk about the Lakers will go back to Russell Westbrook. So imagine this. Take away the last name Westbrook throw in Johnson or throw in Thomas and say this guy averages 18 points a game, just under eight rebounds and eight assists a game, over a steal a game. He shoots 43% from the field, not much from three, just under 30%. But he's giving me 18, eight and eight, basically. And he's the reason we're not very good. So let's clear two things up. Russ is struggling. Nobody can debate that. He has not played well consistently throughout the season, but he is not the reason the Lakers are a bad team. They are a bad team because they are a bad defensive team. And it starts with LeBron. And even when they had AD before he went out of the lineup before, they weren't very good defensively. He wasn't himself very good defensively. Malik Monk is 23 years old. I just gave him all the credit in the world for what he's evolved into offensively, but he's not a good defender. Same for Taylor Horton Tucker, who's 21. Avery Bradley has been a solid defender throughout his career, but he is a six foot two guy that oftentimes is being asked to guard, guard guys six, six and six, eight. And eventually the reality just sinks in. He's not big enough. This roster. Yes, it's flawed in the sense that it is it is heavy with veterans, and we're talking about veterans with guys that are 33 and older on this roster. And anybody that says that 
it was a tough fit to try to make Westbrook work with LeBron and AD. I, no, no argument there. No, no debate there. But who didn't know that those pieces didn't fit to begin with? When I heard of the trade, I didn't understand it. I really didn't. And I wanted somebody to make sense of it. Not because I have anything against Russ. I simply didn't understand how a ball-dominant point guard could play with LeBron James Who's ball dominant? Who always has the ball in his hands? You can list LeBron as small forward and people go, well, he's playing point guard this year. Newsflash. I've said this before because it is a factual statement. LeBron has always played point guard his entire career. If you're a point guard on LeBron James team, you're just really a two guard. That's a fact. The problem with that is, is Russ is not a shooter. He's never been a shooter. So when LeBron sends Russ to the left or right corner, of course the defense are going to clog and they're and, and they're going to lock in on him because they want you to swing the ball to Russ. And the natural basketball play is to swing to the open man. What Russ needs to adjust to, instead of just catching the ball and chucking up a three, catch the ball and attack the basket, man. Like, what you've always been about your entire career is being aggressive, if attacking the basket. Russ has never been a great shooter, but he's never been afraid to take shots. This current version of Russell Westbrook, he's afraid to take shots. And I know a lot of us have seen the post-game interviews, and Russ sounds like Russ. He says, you know, I, I wanted to be, for, be there for my teammates and help them win. What he sounds like and what he's looked like over the last few games he looks like a guy who has no confidence. And that's weird to say when you're talking about somebody that averages 18, 8, and 8. But this might be the worst stretch of basketball his entire career. Never mind the turnovers. He was always a high turnover guy. The frustration comes when some of the turnovers, they just make no sense at all. I'm not one of these people that want to bang on Russ. I'd rather go this route. Just as an NBA fan, never mind being a Laker fan, but just as an NBA fan, at some point, yes, you have to accept the fact you are not the man. On this particular team, you're not the first or second option. And with the way Monk has played, it seems to me you should be the fourth option. And there's nothing wrong with that. On this team, if you wanted to help it make a, an actual deep playoff run, I think Russ have to accept the fact you can be the fourth option. You can average 16 points a game and still get six or seven assists and six or seven rebounds. And you can be a more efficient player. There is a role for Russell Westbrook on the Lakers. The problem with Russ is he doesn't seem interested in embracing that role. So to all the people that say Russ is washed, I disagree with that. I think he's washed if he can't embrace the reality of where he's at in his career right now and his value to a basketball team right now at age 32, 33. Now, I, I digress. I got into the whole Laker thing, but that's me, the Laker fan. Me, Mo, talking about the NBA cipher and about trade deadlines. The Lakers clearly want to be a buyer. They want to be a seller because there's no secret they'd like to move Russ. I don't think it's possible for them to get up off that contract. And 
if you can't move him, what moves can you make? I, I think their only options are to make fringe moves. Maybe they can swing a deal for a 3 and D guy. Maybe they can just get someone who can get buckets, like a Terrence Ross from Orlando or something like that. This, to me, when you look at the Lakers going forward, unless Rob Palinka can pull a rabbit out of his hat, or if they just do something really dynamic and say, you know what, we'll buy Russ out and, and go forward without him, this roster, this is the roster they're going to have going forward. And normally, I'm the guy that says no matter where they're sitting, with Anthony Davis and LeBron James, you're talking about two top 10 players, at, at, at one time two top five players, there's no reason that even with Russell Westbrook's struggle, this team should be sub 500. So I'm going to say the Lakers have a puncher's chance to get into the playoffs. But I don't believe the Lakers, as they're currently constructed, are going to go on a deep playoff run. If they get into the playoffs, I think they're going to be one and done. On the next Cypher, we're going to talk NBA buyout market, and let's get into the MVP discussion a little bit further. Thanks for listening in on this episode. It's the NBA Cypher. Next time.